In the name of the holy and undivided Trinity, one God. Amen. Please be seated. <clears throat> Jesus asks his friends, have you understood all this? And they answered, yes. Hm. <laughs> now, <laughs> sometimes I wish these passages had a little more drama to them. <laughs> because when I read this line, when I read this line, I don't really think it went quite like that. Do you understand? Oh yes, yes, of course we do. I think it was more like, do you understand? Everyone shifts in their seats a little, looks around at everyone else, faces twisted in confusion. Judas's eyes widen as if waiting for someone else to speak up. More silence. Andrew sort of nudges Simon, who seems to have just fallen asleep. And he instinctively says, yes, as he's jolted awake. Oh, goodness, what have I done here? And so sure, it doesn't seem to happen like this, not at all. Maybe I shouldn't even think that it did, but here we are. I think how unlikely that verse would be. Have you understood all this? And they answered, yes, I'm not convinced. All Jesus has done in this dialogue is compare the kingdom of God to these seemingly random things, all things that Jesus' followers allegedly understood. What's helped me understand the concept of a parable a little better is that often Jesus uses the parable to explain, for example, what the kingdom of God is like. And that often points to realities that are turned completely upside down. From everything that one might expect, from the social norms, and it presents a way of being that most people, including us, would be confused by. Because in all reality, that's what the kingdom of God is actually like. It's not like the reality of this moment that we live in, but something that feels upside down to us. Something greater than what we could really even begin to imagine. Take the mustard seed, for example. The mustard plant itself is often just regarded as a weed, something that grows where we don't need it or want it. And it's likely to take over your garden if you're not careful. <clears throat> but look at this parable. 
Someone takes that mustard seed and plants it in a field and cultivates it so that it grows and grows and grows until it is so large that birds nest in its branches. Or the woman who takes her yeast and mixes it into three measures of flour, three bushels of flour. Maybe this weighs out to something like 60 pounds of dough. And suddenly now she has enough dough to make bread for the entire city. These are unlikely situations, even to our modern mindset. Why would you intentionally plant a weed in your wheat field? Wouldn't that be silly? Why would you take all of the flour in your house and make enough bread to feed everyone in town? I think that's Jesus's exact point. If the mustard seed is planted in the field, it grows up to be large enough that birds nest in its branches. Do birds usually nest in fields? I didn't think so. But the field is then the place where new life is nurtured. New life that is not typical of what we find in a field. If the woman takes three measures of flour, just as Abraham instructed Sarah to take three measures of flour for their guests, she provides nourishment and hospitality that extends far, far beyond the reaches of her doorstep. The kingdom of God is like that which nurtures life that which shares hospitality in ways that go against our societal assumptions about what a conventional life should be. Because a conventional life isn't what we are called to lead if we're following Jesus and pursuing the kingdom of God. Just as the mustard tree's branches need pruning, we must be willing to let go of harmful structures that hinder the flourishing of God's love and justice. But like the seed, like the yeast, the blooming of God's reign works over time it's slow and requires cultivation, requires a little stirring up, all in such a way that we're working on it all the time to make the outcome puff up in such a way that it can, in fact, provide hospitality to all who need it to the birds of the field and the strangers who depend on hospitality but we have to work at it. 
have to dig our fingers into the dough and encourage it to become more elastic. We have to trim the lower branches of the tree to encourage it to keep growing upward. And inevitably, all that hard work that we put into making it happen, making it grow and flourish, will beckon in the sort of world that God intends us to live in. That world, the world that God's hands have sculpted and continue to create through the ways that we behave in this world requires us to do things differently. If we want the world to be different, we have to be different first. We have to give certain things up for that world to be successful. I don't think I hear that it's just about our individual selves either, but about our societal structures too. Because there are so many things that suppress the growth of the mustard seed. So what systems of humanity can't exist anymore if we believe that the kingdom of God is at hand? What are the things in our world that are not representative of God's kingdom? Because certain things will have to go if equity, justice, righteousness, or peace will flourish. If we envision a world where God's reign looks like generosity and abundance, then the painful realities of hunger and poverty can no longer dominate people's lives. It is up to us to discern what things we have to shake off from our lives, what evils we have to give up and repent for, what old ways of being have to die to give life to something new, something greater, something that will nurture hospitality in such a way that we can genuinely believe that God's kingdom is at hand. What things around us need to be unexpectedly turned upside down so that we can participate in the growth of God's kingdom? What is there in our day-to-day -day life that would have to change if we were open to being transformed by God's will? What kind of church could we be if we discerned everything about our ministry and mission 
through the lens of God's liberating and life-giving love. Amen.